Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneiderweiler, and for this episode, we're at the TGG Youth Development Conference in Manchester. Coming up, we'll hear from three of our main speakers. Huddersfield Town Academy Manager, Lee Bromby, Huddle Senior Strategist, John McGuigan, and first, Chris Vanderhagen, the Director of Coach Education for the Belgian FA. You mentioned so many interesting aspects of the Belgian way, um, the Belgian DNA that you've been implementing for the last 19 years. And we don't have time, unfortunately, to hit every single one. I mean, you did in your presentation, um, but I want to focus on a couple different things. Uh, One of the quotes you said, which really stuck out to me, which was, we don't do drills. Um, To someone like myself who grew up playing football their whole life, that sounds just absolutely crazy what, what do you mean yeah, no drills yeah i you you skipped the first part of my sentence okay as a coach in the national team now yeah i never do drills yeah because i don't believe in drills yeah so i only especially in national team you have less contact time so we must try to maximize efficiency so an efficiency is you have to prepare the players for the real game and the real game is there is a 100% opposition. So doing drills and like giving passes and between cones and playing, moving from one cone to another. And you tell them, okay, you go from yellow to blue, from blue to, to white, from white to red. You cannot say in the game, you cannot say before what, how, where they have to go in the game. They have to find, to detect by themselves what's now my next step. I have the ball, I pass to my teammate. And what's up, what's up next? So the idea of what was your idea in these drills, you have to transfer this idea into a game, re, a game reality, into an exercise, an activity, and most of it is with opposition. It's a posi- like a positional play or a rondo. I say, okay, uh, here I will see if the first control, the first touch is good. And if it's not good, he will lose possession. Is this with all ages? It, yeah, but you have to build it up in the complexity. Yeah. So I, we, we, there was somebody who asked about, I talked about when they are under six, we, try, we first teach them to play next to each other. So if they, if they just start playing football, they, they first have to learn to drive, to dribble, to run with the ball without opposition. Of course, because if you start to make it too complex, from the very beginning, they will be yeah, dismotivated or disengaged. They will feel uh, unsuccessful and, and it's not, they are not happy about that. So you must find the, the right balance, but I made that quote to show the other opposite. When I, when I see a training pitch, there are 50 cones or, or you say, oh my God, what are they going to do? They prepare everything because coaches want to have everything under control. But how can, how can you, on the training session, you want everything under control and the game is random. You don't have anything under control. From the start, the, ge- the referee whistles. You, you cannot, you're out of the game. Yeah, so, th- so that gets back to your game reality game practice. Game reality, reality-based practice, reality-based training. That, that's, yeah. It feeds into that chaos and yeah. to the and, randomness. And when you're cooking, 
you know, I, I need a lot of, uh, a little bit of this ingredient, a little bit of this. So you have the same thing as a coach. You say, okay, how much opposition will I give? I give 30% to start. And they play, for example, six against two. And then next step, uh, we build it up. We go to six against four. And finally go to six against six, the real opposition. Yeah. So, and you, when you see, for example, six against four, mm, I don't get it out. I, do, I don't get out what I want to have from that exercise. That means this is too complex. Just go break down, go one step back and start, for example, six against three. And then you see, oh, it works. When it works, you say, okay, next level, next challenge, because it cannot be too difficult and it cannot be too easy. And that's experience. That's how you have to observe. And this is the role of the coach during the training, not shouting and yelling, but observing and see, okay, what's happening? Do I see what we want to see? Oh, no, no. What's going wrong? How can I correct this? That's coaching. <laughs> it's it's you 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 are the guide for the players. You have to guide them, but they have to go on the on the journey. But you are the guide, but they make the journey. You mentioned before. I mean, you're the head of coaching. Um, you mentioned before how coaches crave or really love control. Yeah. Uh, how do you get coaches to kind of uh, give up some of their control and um, give it to the players yeah, it's you have to empower the players because from the, from the game from the very beginning of the game when the game starts you as a coach you are out you're out so who takes the control of the game the players so as the game is for the players the training should be for the players too because the training should be game related you see the picture so yeah. if the game belongs to the players and the training session is the preparation for the game. The training session should belong to the players. So you have to... Pre the role of the coach is to prepare everything, to know exactly what you're going to do and why you're going to do it in this way. Then you organize, they start, and you observe. Your role is observing, making some, some stops, asking the right questions, not telling them what's going wrong, not telling them what to do, asking the question. Looking what they say, helping them in finding the solution, let them play again, observing again, making a stop when necessary, and this is the ruling, the, the learning process. And you are the guide in the learning process. Um, when you first started that, when you first started it, the the first couple years, uh, the first five years, ten years even, um, were you worried that it wasn't working, or did you see immediate results? You you never see immediate results. So we changed the format after a university study because we were looking for what is the most uh, interesting uh, format for the age group and to maximize uh, touches of the ball and to be consistent with the process of working into 11v11, working into 4-3-3. When you measure efficiency, at that moment was just observing how many do they have a lot of touches what's happening you have the triangles do they use it can they play in these triangles and the last changes from 2v2 and 3v3 only came five years ago when 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 we saw that players were getting into the clubs younger and younger at younger and younger age like four or five years old i say okay they cannot start playing football 5v5 so we see that the reality 
changes because they arrive at four or five years old. It's our responsibility to say, okay, what is now the best environment for these kids? How can we get them the first contact with football in the best possible way? Because your first impression is the most important. When you when you arrive in an hour, I'm so no no I didn't I didn't enjoy it. Okay, they they quit. Yeah. So now from the very beginning, it's just like they come from from uh, kindergarten to the playground on the football pitch, and we organize the playground for them, and they are happy because they are on the playground, and that's what we have to do: create an environment where they enjoy and where they learn. And they're getting constant contact on the ball. Yeah 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 because. How can you learn? You can only learn to play football when you have the ball. When you're on the bench, you don't learn anything. No, when, you, when you're just running after the ball all the time, and that was what happened when they were playing 5v5 at six years old. They were running all after one ball. But some of them, only the best ones, they could catch the ball and they could dribble everybody. But all the other ones, it was a mess. It was a mess. <laughs> they got the ball, they give a pass, they shoot the ball away and they run all after the ball. Yeah. The quickest one catches him, and then he shoots the ball away. Then again, they were all like bees <laughs> following the honey. Uh, the coaches, when you made this change um, and you said, okay, we're just going to do dribbling um, for these ages, and you made all these changes, you know, what was the, the reaction of um, you know, the Belgium coaches? First, first reaction when you change, what do you think? Adversity. Yeah, because we didn't change like that and say, okay, guys, we changed the rules. No. For one full year, we made a, 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 a tour all over the regions, inviting club directors, technical directors, inviting coaches to explain them, look, this is, these are our ideas about development. This is what we're gonna ch- we, we, we would like to change, and this is the reasons why. And we showed them video clips of 5v5 football and 10-2v2, and asked the kids, okay, look, in three minutes, how many touches of the ball, what do they like most. Uh, and then at the end of the evening, we asked them to vote. We had different points, like playing in four quarters. All these changes, they had to vote and say, okay, agree, agreement or no agreement. And finally, we had about 90% of agreement. And they say, okay, no problem. Now we can do this. because, And that's why we, from the... With the first change, we only introduced 2v2 football because 2v2 and then 3v3 would have been too much changes. The club said, no, 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 but we accept 2v2. And that was the most important thing for us, that we could that we could get them in that dribbling football f- from the very beginning. And then from there, you could go one, and then, you know, 1v1, 3v3. Yeah, 1v1, they do on training session. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it, it in fact, it is 1v1 with two goalkeepers. Yeah. That that's yeah. yeah. And and some of them we have been discussing about this also. Do we need a goalkeeper? And and then there are two ways. It's not good and bad. It's just okay, the goalkeeper it's part of the game. Why shouldn't we introduce the goalkeeper from the beginning? That was one idea of the of of, of uh the the technical director of the Flemish region. And but he was and he was a goalkeeper uh, before, so yeah. he was uh, say we need a goalkeeper. I said, okay, yeah, why not? But do we have a goal for this goalkeeper of five years old? Uh, no, we don't have. So if we say we play with goalkeeper, we need a special format of goals. And that's what we decided to do. Yeah. And okay, so uh, in the in the balloon region, they said, no, we don't want to make 
We don't want to invest so much money in that specific format of goals. We let them play 1v1 in small goals. On paper, it's different, but in practice, it's the same because it's about 1v1, dribbling football. You talk about the goalkeepers. You said that the change um, only happened a couple, uh, five years ago for the um, you know 3v3 and yeah. um, some of these changes. So... You know, how often are you still changing this this plan or... Um... So often as necessary. So when we see changes are changing, uh, things are changing, uh, we have to ask, okay, if we have to adapt something to be in the best possible environment, we have to do it. So if you have to change every year, it means that you didn't reflect enough last year. So... Yeah. We have the meetings every year before the summer, like now, where we make an update of what we have been um, remarked all over the country and that we have from international context. And, and maybe every two, three years, there are some small changes. Uh, so, you know, let's talk a, a little bit about um, some, some of the other changes uh, very quickly. Um, you also did four quarters, yeah. um, which is... One of those things that makes a lot of sense, um, but yet it hasn't really taken place in uh, too many other places. What, why did you um, change it to four quarters? Yeah, for, for, two, for two reasons. First of all, to give playing time to everybody, because before there was free changes, free substitutions, so you could change at any moment. And that was already good. But what did we see? That a lot of coaches, they didn't give playing opportunity for some players. So. That's not cor that's that's not correct. That's not in the development philosophy. So, all children's football should be 100% in that philosophy of development. So, okay, we said if you don't do it by yourself, because you know what you do, what yeah. you have to do, but you don't do it, then we have to we have to help you a little bit. Yeah. So we change the regulations, and uh, that means that everybody will play at least. 50% of the time and it's still under 17 after under 17 because you we prepare them to to adult football to senior football the rule is the normal rule but that's why we decided it was first reason second reason uh, if if it's all about individual coaching okay we have now during that game you have two extra opportunities for coaching your your individual players because you have two timeouts and half time so three moments where you can give some feedback and say, okay, go on the pitch. Now I will observe you. Try to do this and this. Yeah. And they get to, you know, implement yeah, the, yeah. the things the coaches have talked and about. And it's only, so you, you have only, it's, it's 15 or 20 minutes. So it's also short to manage as a coach to observe. Yeah. Because, yeah, if you have to, to observe 45 minutes, you come in the dressing room, okay, what did I have to say? Uh, for you this, for you this. There are so many things. So what, what, we, what we try to explain them, take some focus points in the first quarter, take some focus points in the second part, in the, in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. If you, if you structure your observation like that, you, you can give a good, efficient feedback, feedback to your players. Something that uh, I'm kind of getting from just talking to you is that a lot of these changes seem to be almost more geared toward correcting the biases of coaches the biases like you know the you know the coach all he cares about is winning so you take away 
the the, 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 the tables, yes. you know, you the four quarters, um, you know, uh, it seems like a lot of this is almost going against some, to protect coaches against themselves almost. Uh, maybe it's it's you you can it's for your perception it's like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, and, yeah. but I I I agree eh? on one side. I agree, but the main reason is we don't want to protect our coaches. Yeah. against himself we want to protect our players yeah we want to give full or protect the players from the the coaches yeah we, we want to 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 create the best environment for development of individuals yeah and that best environment okay uh, if the coaches then don't do it automatically we have to make the rules that yeah. they are that we help them a little bit to understand this is development and in the beginning there was adversity but now at the moment it's it's like every change you change and then it's normal and after some time people say yeah it's better like that the parents are very happy about it uh, some of them <laughs> some of them most of them yeah because yeah. they say it's a good system well they have happier kids cuz they're yeah, because, you know playing and, more and, and, and you you also have to make evaluation for players how can you make an a, an objective player evaluation if they never play or if they only play the last 10 minutes how does that how how do the children how do they feel when they arrive on, on the for the game and they know uh, again i will be on the bench and i will play the last 50 minutes and the week uh, next week again and next week again so what happens finally they say no i quit because why do they come to your training session uh, to have fun uh, because they love the game yeah but there is no game for them because they're yeah. on the bench <laughs> you see they yeah. love the game they they come for they come for tr to training for playing in the game yeah so you have to give them the game not as a gift but as a reward for the work they have been doing on the training and that's important and and so when some coaches don't understand it's it's it i i always give the same example because i i experienced that example in in our club some of the coaches, their own kids are playing. And if, if, if some of the guys say, ah, but uh, the substitutions, I don't want to give them so much playing time. I say, if this happens with your son here, if your colleague doesn't give playing opportunity to your son, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 it's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Chris, you're right. Yeah, we have to do it. Yeah, we have to respect it. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you choose coaches um, to to choose or to pair them with the different age groups. So how do you identify what a coach for U7 versus U11 looks like? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's uh, f two things. Uh, how do they m manage the players? Manage is a big word. It's, it, it's a relationship with the players. Can they, yeah, are they, do they have the right profile? For example, it's like school. You have kindergarten. Not everybody can work in the kindergarten. For example, me, yeah. I, I don't have enough patience to work with, with, with uh, three and four years old. Yeah. yeah. So if you know that they don't have, you don't have to put them there. Yeah. But sometimes in the beginning when they arrive in your club, yeah, you don't know. And, you, and they say, uh, I want to work with uh, 11 v 11. Most of the time we say, no, no, you cannot start 11 v 11 if you have a lot of experience and we are sure yes but otherwise we will st you will start an under 10 under 11 and we will see how it's going so it's giving them the experience and then see if they like it 
and if the kids like it. Because it's very easy for you as a coach, at the end of the training, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the season, ask to your players, ask them to write down how much they like their sessions yeah. and try it. Well, no, because I, I, the reason I ask that is because I find a lot of coaches, at least in, in England, um, they start in the youth and they want and to go. They, they all want to go to no. the senior team. And I would imagine you're not getting the best coaches for the different ages if they all don't want to be there. No, no, absolutely. So that's also what they have. It's, it's about self-awareness. Look in the mirror and try to find that, find out who you are as a coach. What are your qualities? What are your competencies? What is your profile? And this is what we, I had now, we had a big discussion in, 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 in um, uh, two weeks ago with, with, some of, uh, with one of our coaches. He wanted to be in the senior, or he is in our second senior team. And um, we said, yeah, we would like to, to work with, as an assistant in the A team and in the development teams. Say no, no, I don't want to be assistant. I want to be the head coach of the development team. Yeah. So I said, go for one year there, learn from a new head coach, and keep working with the development team. No, 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 I want to be the head coach. Yeah. You so say okay. Why there is that disagreement? It's because there is not enough self-awareness about who am I as a coach. And I said, why do we propose you to take that role? Because we want we, we propose you that role to be here long term, because you you will never get fired. Yeah. Because you're the assistant on the head on the A team for the long term because we want the connection with the academy and you will overview the development team. So we we trust you to give you that role for the long term. Yeah. But he says my role is head coach. It's not the right role for you. Yeah. If you want if you absolutely want to be head coach go to another club and after two months you got fired yeah and then you come back to us yeah because that's the big difference of course yeah you're, you're in development and some coaches they are made for development but they are not made for the pressure of, of 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 performance yeah and that's okay sometimes they believe you sometimes they don't believe and then they go for the experience and then they learn from the experience yeah but that's also one of our open mind uh characteristics of our, of our club if they leave and they fail they can always come back yeah because it's learning from your experience you've experienced uh, it was a mistake to go to do this okay you're welcome to come back also for players for us it's very easy to to let them go to other clubs high level they leave they leave any moment they can come back because it's all about the players yeah. It's not about us. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I could go all day with you, uh, but I'll, I'll let you go now. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, Chris. It was a big pleasure for me too. Lee, it's so nice to be here with you. How are you doing today? Excellent, thank you. Um, no, it's been a privilege to be invited to the uh, first conference and all gone very well so far yeah i mean i absolutely loved your uh your presentation yeah. it was nice and interactive and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that and yeah. maybe some hopefully some other stuff too um but one thing you mentioned in your presentation is the idea of the all or nothing player yeah um and, and searching for that can you kind of just describe what you mean by an all or nothing player and then kind of how you find them um difficult difficult uh i think it's just not um 
signing players, which I think Chris mentioned today and, and Stuart a little bit, that I just don't have the attributes to be Premier League footballers or professional footballers. Um, so not looking for the average. Um, and some, some of the players that, when I talk about all or nothing, a lot of it's on, they'll fall down on behaviours as well and commitment. Um, so a lot of talented players don't quite have the commitment to, to be elite footballers and that's sometimes the nothing. Um, so it's not always on um, the recruitment's not always on physical attributes or technical or tactical. Sometimes it's, you know, some of our players might be the nothing because of the commitment. So how do you measure commitment when you're recruiting players? How do, how do you find these all or nothing uh, players? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, we have a process where we've got um, a psychologist who comes in and, and does sort of formulations on the players before we sign anyone. Um, you know, we've got specific questions that we would ask the players. We've got, we have meetings with the, the families uh, to try establish those sort of traits. Um, and I don't think there's any particular science to it. It's, it's fitting the knowing what your building's about and how those players will improve in your building. So we're very clear on our age groups. We're very clear on the players that work in our building um, and what that looks like. So that makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, based on some of the uh, things you were saying in the presentation that it's okay to have some of these deficiencies in yeah. players with their technical ability or yeah. you know certain things because you believe in your building yeah. you believe what you can put them through yeah i think i think it's just a strong belief that with with our program that we deliver will improve those technical abilities particularly in inv individuals the lads when they come in the building the easiest thing to do is teach them the football because they love the football so going out and practicing is not difficult for us yeah. you know to buy the players into practicing for you know their technical ability they will improve in the building that that's 100 percent. so that's why we sometimes focus on the other bits like commitment and and what we've had to do in the building is define what that looks like which you said that commitment what it looks like into our our building so yeah we've done a lot of work on that and it is quite specific but maybe maybe another conversation you know you talk about commitment you are a player yeah. yourself yeah. you know you've been at Huddersfield uh, now yeah. for a while yeah so what was it like kind of before you uh, were the academy manager and how have you changed it um, to include more of this kind of all or nothing mentality yeah I think um, my football experience in terms of playing has been a big factor in you know where, where I am at the minute you know I've had a lot of uh, experience with different managers uh, different coaching different styles so I've learned practically the one the one key thing I had to do when I finished playing was learn the theory behind teaching yeah. uh, specifically to these age groups so the 17s to like 19s 20s and learning how we can get the best out of those players and how they do learn and that's why we've we've gone to an individual program yeah. and we've, we've tried to focus on the individuals rather than a team like I mentioned in the presentation before that, the downside of that is we don't win, win loads of games yeah. and the players want to win. Yeah. They assess themselves on if I'm winning every week, I'm doing well. So it's trying to change that whole cycle. And it's, that's, that's probably what I've learned from being working with different coaches, observing different coaches, uh, a career of football and all that sort of brought together. And I'm lucky enough that Uddersfield, you know, sort of put me in a position where I can implement a programme. So that's those learning factors and that experience being valuable for me. Yeah, well, I mean, you were just talking about with Chris. Literally, I just yes. broke up your conversation yeah. with uh, Chris, the head of coaching for Belgium. And yeah. he was and you were talking about how it's it's a totally different game than, you know, the pros essentially yeah. uh, it, is coaching youth. Yeah, it's almost a. I describe it at work when I'm speaking to people is it's a different sport. 
development and first team is like a different sport. You can't even you can't compare it. There's a transition. There's a transition bit in between when players do start to creep up to the first team, um, and that that's something at Huddersfield we are looking at. We're looking that that's our uh, probably future thinking is we're looking at that transition piece of players of trying to bring someone into to work in that area. But in terms of development and and first team, they couldn't be any further away. And I think Chris mentioned before, which was you know he had an excellent presentation and brought up some really good points. And that I was probably that coach that had those issues you yeah. wanting to win because you want to win for yourself and your own reputation so it's just being honest enough to recognize these are things that are going on in in coaching yeah uh, and chris's presentation was honest and really reflective for people listening to that as a coach yeah so w when you were giving your presentation uh one of the things that you know kind of stood out to me is you you were talking about losing and how yeah. when in development you know losing in theory shouldn't be a, a huge deal because yeah. at the end of the day you just care about the players improving and developing yeah. but losing so much can have an effect on players yeah. and also staff and yeah. you know in the media yeah. you know this is all public yeah for yourself personally how have you handled people maybe questioning your tactics or yourself questioning your own tactics yeah. after seeing Huddersfield lose so many times in U17, U19 uh, yeah. because you're playing up a level or playing um, you know older ages? A couple of things really, so the message to out of the club, so I think we've got the support from above with, uh, with Julie Winter, the, the chief exec who's a big supporter of the academy and also uh, Dean Oyle, so I presented the model to them and everyone, everyone understands we're not expecting to win at under-17s because our players are playing against under 18, so there's no expectation, so that's really clear uh, throughout the club. The difficulty becomes when coaches are taking the team and the players don't want to win. No player goes out thinking, I want to lose. Um, so what we've had to do with that is give the players other games. So we've entered under-17s tournaments. We've played under-17s teams. Um, so the challenge is a little bit different. We've played against younger sort of age groups to give them that success. So even though they're playing in the league, that's really challenging. And every week, every Saturday, they get a game that's a physical challenge, tactical. It's difficult every game. They've got they've got to really perform. Uh, we don't expect them to win those games. The good thing is when they've played in these tournaments and against their own age group, they've done really well uh, and they perform really well. I did ask, I spoke to Nick Cox right at the beginning of this sort of process and I asked him, I said, what would you do? And he said, you need games where the lads can practice having confidence and winning games because it's still still important. So yeah, that, that has been a challenge. So there's no fear of like them not having a winning mentality. Yeah, I think I think um, I hear a lot about you know cultures and winning man mentalities, and there's, there's not a chance any of the any of the players don't want to win. I think at this you know if they're going to progress, then they need they need that, and it's different. I look back at my own experiences, and I probably didn't understand that or or get that winning, real winning mentality until I I, um, I worked with Neil Warnock at Sheffield United. And um, that was at first team level, you know, I was 23 years old. These are still young, they've got time uh, to develop those traits. Uh, and that's that's something that we do work towards and try and help them with. Yeah, but you know, that just comes with experience, I guess, is what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, it comes no, with experience just... and, and it looks different in every, every player. So yeah. just because you shout on the pitch, uh, 
and you've got an aggressive body language or you shout at other players don't mean to say you've got a winning mentality you know it's 24 7 trying to be a professional footballer and creating that, that commitment that I spoke about is not it's not just on the pitch so yeah it looks different in it in all, all different players and we see that in the premier league you know you've got people players that want to win at the top level and they don't all all show it in the same way and a 16 year old definitely they definitely don't understand that so yeah it, it is a challenge and it's just a confidence thing for the players for them to understand and we have to do a lot of work in the classroom to reinforce the good things that they do yeah you, something that when you were giving your pres a presentation that we've already touched on but you know i just want to mention again is you, you you brought up several times the psychologist and it seems like you're you really believe in that and that the that the psychologist at that you use at huddersfield really has a lot of like not sway but like has a lot of um, influence. Inf influence, yeah. I, yeah, I think John, who, who's coming, he's coming from Changing Minds, has sort of revolutionised our process and programme. Uh, his, his remit was to influence the the, uh, the coaches and the staff, and that's made the biggest impact because that then filters down to the to the players. Uh, it's something we believe in. Uh, it's the part that I think we can have the biggest impact with the players so yeah it's it's a it's one of my own beliefs that I, I do believe in it and also I've seen the impacts this year of it being put in place. What what uh, brought about that change or your decision to kind of go uh, with the changing mind and so the, the psychologist? The club, the club being forward thinking so the first team also have um, a performance psychologist who works with the staff and uh, so it's not just the youth team yeah. So the first team also have that. Um, it looks a little bit different. He works with a lot of individuals, but also the the staff. Um, but yeah, the the club invested into that, and, and they invest a lot of money in it. So we're, we're lucky that we've we've had that, and that's been brought to the club, um, and we just utilise it, and it's been it's been valuable. What's one of the like key takeaways that you you said it's valuable? Like, so what's one of the big effects that it's had so the, that you've seen? So the learning process for the uh, for the program, so the coaching programs uh, designed around like a learning program for those age groups, um, and John's been able to um, sort of implement that with the coaches because he's got a football background. Um, so yeah, that, that understanding for the coaches, it's, you know, we work from a plan, do, review model uh, and that's consistently de delivered. Can you explain what that you mean by that? So it's, it's basically a learning model uh, for the players. Uh, I just spoke to Chris, they do a very similar similar process with the IDPs and things like that. But IDPs being... Individual the, development plans. Yeah. Uh, but basically the, the simple way of explaining it is that the players plan and the coaches plan to do something. Uh, then you do it, for example, the coaching session, then you go in the classroom and review what you've actually yeah. set out to do. So if the objectives of the session are attacking principles, the players understanding what the, those are, practicing them, and then coming and reviewing them and seeing, giving yeah. some feedback on that. That mutual uh, buy-in is yeah. what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and they make their own goals as well and kind of structure their own way of achieving those goals yeah yeah so 100 percent, you have to get the buy-in and that's one thing john's done as he's worked with the staff um on a lot of brain development um for those age groups of players that's the work with the staff so there's also been work with the program and another influence has been um working with the staff to understand this age group of players and how they learn um which is it's just us understanding the players when they when they're in the building yeah, and so I mean, just looking forward, 
yeah. you know, it, it seems like there's been a, a lot of change in the last uh, year or so. Yeah. Where do you see the most change happening in the next year or so? So, yeah, looking forward, I think the, the club are looking at a transition sort of coach that will, co will be an individual coach across the club. What I mean by that transition is from the academy to the first team. So uh, I think that'll be a, a, a big appointment for us and that'll work through the academy. The next step for us is, is creating a, like an elite development team. So we'll have a 17s, 19s and elite development team and that, that team will support the first team. That, those are our next steps. And then obviously continually trying to improve our programme and delivery and, and looking forward to those, those key bits, what will improve our players. Yeah, a final question. Uh, one, of the speaker, or one of the guests yeah. asked about um, language and how uh, it affected you know, how you uh, work with uh, the young players. But I have a slightly different question. Yeah. You know, you have a quite unique academy in that, well, not actually unique, uh, in that you look for a lot of European players. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly a lot of the bigger clubs in England yeah. do. How do you get them to adjust um, to living in Huddersfield, yeah. which is, I would imagine, quite different yeah. than most of these. Yeah. I know you've had Italians and yeah. you know all, all sorts. How do you yeah. get a 16-year-old Italian to adapt to Huddersfield, essentially? Yeah, so maybe a, a better example is signing two players from Paris, which couldn't be any, any different to uh, Huddersfield. I think support would be the main thing. So I think when they come into the building that they get that support from all the staff and Huddersfield that we're not a big club with a, with a lot of staff so we have to have that family feel. Uh, so making them feel part of the family. One thing that I have learned is football is universal so these lads love playing football. Part of their journey will be learning English. None of our staff speak French when yeah. these come over but it is part of their part of their learning and coming over and it's a massive challenge for us because this is the first time we've done it in terms of restarting the academy and uh, restructuring should I say so it's going to be an experience but I would say the key is having that that support from them and that that trust that they know it is a family club and they will be looked after. John how you doing today? Good you? I'm doing well uh, the TGG conference just finished you know, is there anything that kind of stuck out to you listening to all these talks? I thought it was just a really good set of speakers. You know, I go to a lot of these events and conferences, some of them really good, some of them less good. I'm sure anybody who's been to them events will know the ones I'm talking about, <laughs> where sometimes the the speakers sometimes don't engage with the audience, uh, or they don't challenge the thoughts in the room. And I thought the, the speakers today were really good. I thought there was a, a really good variety, a uh, good level of experience in the room. And then, yeah, like I said, I thought I thought the way people challenged and asked questions was really was really good. Um, so let's get into your area of expertise, um, analysis specifically. You know, using video, uh, which is one of the most emerging parts of, of football, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, so how does video and analysis kind of work with y youth players? Um, you know, who aren't playing in a Champions League final, if you will. The keynote that I just gave was around player empowerment. So we have, a, we have a lot of clubs that we work with who use analysis as a way of developing technical and tactical understanding of the game. Quite often it's linked to what goes on on the grass as closely as possible. The clubs who do it really well, they, they relate everything, what, what players will see on screen or see in the technology, they relate it really well to what goes on the grass. So it's all, it's all related to the game because obviously, obviously analysis is only a small 
uh, cog in the wheel of a player's devo- development. We have some clubs and organisations who, who try to put a focus on that player empowerment, like I just try to describe in the keynote. So they, they give ownership of the analysis process to the players through the technology. So the players will get access to an account of some sort. Um, players can log in and watch video and create clips of themselves or of other players that, that, that they'd like to learn from. And the coach can then reply to those comments. Um, so you create like a feedback loop, if you like. Um, it's like flipping the classroom in a way is another term that people use. But a lot of time it's just about getting players to, to, to think about their performance a little bit more deeply uh, rather than just watching their goals or their best bits. It's, it's using it as a development tool and trying to help the coaching process. I think that's probably the most important thing is that whatever video or analysis that you do uh, with young players, it relates to what happens on the grass to, to make it as real as possible. Do you find that the video, you know, kids engage more with the video than they would even if it was just like a recreation or um, some other way of showing kind of what happened that they they just it's if you know we're in a video generation you know i'm yeah, yeah. you know i'm 29 that you know you look yeah. quite young yourself um <laughs> older than 29 yeah <laughs> but we're, you know we're the video generation yeah, yeah yeah i think i think players are just used to players now are used to watching video you know they consume a lot of video whether it be youtube or social media you know it might be football related or it might be totally not football related but but Kids and young people now are used to watching video. They're used to consuming video. They're used to accessing it on whatever device they want, whenever they want. You know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they can, in 30 seconds, pull up the video that they want to watch. Like I say, football-related or non-football-related. They can watch it on whatever device they want. They can watch it on their phone, on iPads, on Mac, normal, uh, other computer, laptop. So I think that's that's why a lot of clubs are, are tapping into to using video and using analysis as a way to, to engage with players and to empower players is is because that's the that's the language they speak in. You know, I think a lot of the clubs who, who don't engage in some sort of analysis or technology process are normally ones where the coach or people within the club, the adults, are scared of the technology in some way. And it does have to be used in the right way. There's definitely some pitfalls and you have to build a really solid process so it doesn't become a monster um, inside your club. But... You know, I think the the clubs who really think it out and do it well, they give players information and give them video in the way that that suits them and suits their generation, which is video and 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 mobile device and twenty four seven. Yeah, I mean, it's a way of engaging kids at eleven eleven p.m. on a Sunday when yeah. they wouldn't be playing football. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think I think there's like I said, there's definitely some pitfalls, and uh, I've made a lot of mistakes when I was an analyst. Um, I see clubs that we work with make a lot of mistakes. What's what's the most common one that you see? I think if like information overload, I was speaking to um, a couple of coaches just after the keynote. Obviously, I'm a big advocate of video, and I showed some examples, some real examples from clubs of, of clubs who upload a lot of video, um, and it probably looked like there was too much in in some of, in some of the examples. Um, but I was showing the view that the analyst sees or the head coach sees because they have access to all the video that's on the club's account. Um, whereas a player would only see the videos that, that are specific to them. And I think that's a really important thing is that clubs really think about what videos are important so that the message isn't diluted and so it doesn't become background noise. I think there are definitely some clubs out there who maybe do a bit too much or maybe the video sessions that they deliver are a little bit too long. You know, and it's definitely a process that needs to be thought out. You can't just throw tons of video in there. Uh, like I said, there's that danger they could become background noise. 
But like I say, if you, if you always think about how it relates to what you're working on on the grass at the time, or what that player needs to develop on the grass at the time, then I think that helps streamline your focus a little bit. Um, and, and helps the analyst or the coach or whoever's putting the video content together to, to really think, is this actually going to develop the player or not? And, and like anything in coaching, you know, if, it, if it's not going to develop and impact the player, then I think you have to look at why you're doing it. Uh, my final train of thought comes with um, video use in the United States and maybe how it impacts here, um, because video has been long used in the United States, uh, especially for, you know, analysis. Um, and so I'm just wondering what have you kind of taken from the video habits or lessons that you've maybe seen studying video habits in America? Um, and maybe there are other countries that I don't know about um, that are quite progressive in this regard. And how have you kind of tried to apply it to football here yeah. in the UK? That's a, an interesting question because uh, one of the main reasons that I left my job at a club was to see how video and analysis was used in different sports a little bit more easily. The club I worked for were really good in supporting my CPD, but it was still difficult at times because you were in the season and, and day-to-day stuff of being in the season. But when I got offered this role with, with Huddle, who I'm with now, who were originally a US company, but now global, I was really interested to find out American sport in particular, like NFL, NBA, because I think it was a lot uh, more obvious that video was being used in those sports yeah. with any documentaries I watched in the past and things like that. And uh, I'd say probably two things from, from American football in particular, um, from the time I spent in the States and working with some of our specialist staff who work with the, with the American coaches. The, the first thing would be uh, the player ownership. So again, the, the player empowerment. Without wanting to sound like a stuck record, you know, that's, that's something I think we're, we're, we've made great strides in in this country in probably the last three, four years um, from speaking to our analysts and our coaches that the, the players in America have been leading their own video creation and clipping up their own performance and making comments on their own performance and sharing that with coaches. They've been doing that for you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Yeah. The technology wasn't as smooth. It was a lot more manual. Might have been VHS tape and notepads. But you know, if you watch any documentaries or videos around uh, American football or the big players like you know, there's a Tom Brady one on and Facebook, Manning, for example. Yeah. yeah, any of those guys, you know, you'll see the the quarterbacks and the the unit leads or unit captains are obsessed with with video. So I would say that player ownership thing, we are getting them a lot better at it here. Players doing it themselves. The technology being better now and more more easy to understand is is and on the tablets and and phones and things helps. Um, so that'll be the first thing. The second thing is um, is is definitely the I think it's the the way that it's linked to the game again. So again, I know I sound like a stuck record, but in the States, they link video uh, often to a playbook, which also lives in the account or wherever they use. Maybe it's created in our software or maybe it's created elsewhere and uploaded in, but it's like video brings the playbook to life and then people will go out and practice it on the grass and then practice or training is filmed and then that's loaded into the system and then the whole process starts again. So it's like this full uh, circle or 360 analysis process whatever you want to call it um, always linked to the grass or always linked to the court and I, ju- I just think it's something that we're getting a lot better at um, definitely you know the last three four years I've been doing this job I've seen the progression in the UK uh, and in Europe in football in particular um, but I think the Americans have just got more time they've on us they've been doing it for a little longer um, you know, but we'll get there for sure, and we've got we've got people working in our organisation with great skills and experience, 
um, who are hopefully able to advise uh, people in this country if they if they want to hear stories about American sport and how they use analysis. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another edition. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates via the Training Ground Guru website and on Twitter at ground underscore guru.